to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. We will be uh, looking at the entirety of uh, that chapter this morning. Again, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 2, as we uh, really uh, bring, uh, in some sense, to to a close, but uh, maybe more appropriately, uh, to the the pinnacle, uh, this uh, series of, of sermons. Uh, designed uh, to uh, to cause us to to reflect upon to uh, uh, consider uh, the realities uh, of all that Christmas is. That, uh, namely, uh, it is uh, the time in which uh, the God of all of eternity uh, broke into our realm, entered uh, into uh, time and space uh, for the sake of of our redemption. If these things are worthy of our consideration, uh, primarily here in this month of December, and they are worthy of our consideration for this month, then they are worthy of our consideration in the other months of the year. That that is the the reality of that which occurred uh, at that time that we call Christmas is truly that which should define our lives and inform our lives. I've spoken often in these last few years of drawing that curtain, and we should, that we enter into here and attempt to forget all of the uh, the details of, of life out there, but as important as it is to close that curtain, it is equally important to open that curtain, to go back into that world having been informed and transformed by the truth of the Christ who came at Christmas. And so as we take today, we look for, uh, at least for this year, this final biblical window into the realities of Christmas. And I use that phrase right there, realities of Christmas. There, uh, certainly there are certain anxieties associated with Christmas. There's a certain amount of frivolity associated with Christmas. There's a certain amount of fantasy associated with Christmas. You be the judge as to how much of those things you participate in. But our purpose, our focus, and our hope is rooted in an unchanging reality that Christ has come. We, we have emphasized, we have noted, we have celebrated that He is the promised Son of David. He is the divinely conceived Son of Mary. He was born at the predicted place at the appropriate time. And today as we think about the appearance of these otherwise unknown and unnamed wise men, we are reminded of the furor that their inquiry ignited. We are reminded that there never was, nor will there ever be any middle ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. We either look at the evidence and come to the conclusion that He is exactly who the Bible says He is, and we draw near. Or we rightly, hear this, we 
rightly as Herod did so long ago. We must oppose and we must destroy him because he is ultimately the threat to the perception and the practice of our supposed sovereign autonomy. Herod rightly perceived him as a threat, but he wasn't the threat that he perceived him to be. And he is still a threat today, and that's why you find so many living to oppose the Christ of Christmas. For those of us that, like the wise men of old, have come to worship Him, we can rightly sing in what is far too often a joyless world. We can sing joy to the world. The reason? The Lord has come. And He will return one day. He, he is the transcendent, eternal reality and he is the source of our joy that is in a world that indeed is sorrowful and indeed is broken it is in him alone who is our king he is our lord and he is our savior if all of those things are true and again they are then let us come and worship him and so if you would, think with me today from this text as the realities of the madman and the wise men and the ancient men highlight the reality of exactly who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose uh, went before them until it came to the place to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they 
offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, uh, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, uh, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for your truth, for your truth conforms to that which is reality. In fact, that is the very definition of truth. You have said to us that which is real, that which is right, that which is true. And so, God, I pray that we would indeed hear your truth here this day, that your truth would inform us, that your truth would form us, according to the character of your Son, Jesus Christ. And for those who persist in their rebellion against our Lord Jesus, I would pray that the imperishable seed of the new birth and your very Spirit would so work among us and within us today that you would cause them to believe, that you would open blind eyes eyes and bring to life dead hearts again through the workings of your son through the workings of your spirit through the power of your word we ask these things in jesus name amen as we look at our text the first thing we see again as we looked at last week was the mention of uh, this particular uh, ruler uh, king politician uh, Herod, uh, I call him the diabolical madman. Uh, to be sure, uh, he had a certain level of competence. He, he accomplished uh, some significant things. He is remembered for being a great uh, builder. But to be sure, he was conniving, he was corrupt, he was capricious, he was cunning. And probably more than anything else, we remember him for the fact 
that he was cruel. And so it is against that historical backdrop that we see once again the presentation of the realities of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked last week about Luke being very self-consciously a, a historian. Well, maybe we haven't made that much of that kind of emphasis for Matthew, but remember he is very self-consciously presenting Jesus as the rightful king of the Jews. And so he does set him in history, first of all, in, 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 the, in line of descent, most particularly uh, from uh, David. And then he is indeed descended from God himself, being conceived in the womb of his uh, mother uh, Mary. And so now, once again, we uh, look at this business of history, and so Matthew moves forward from what we looked at as a, an annunciation passage of the revelation uh, to Joseph of uh, the pregnancy of Mary and the fact that this is why she is pregnant. It is not what you think. It is not that. It is this, that, that God has so worked in her miraculously to conceive life, and it is a unique life. It is the life of one who will be called Jesus Christ. And so uh, Matthew moves forward. He does not give us as Luke that singular account of that birth in Bethlehem. He moves forward to the time after that birth. And again, reminding us that it is during the time of the reign of a particular vicious and vile and at least in behavior, thoroughly pagan ruler named Herod. And so in uh, that time, we see the, the arrival and, and an inquiry from those that are identified as wise men from the east. Now, I'm going to say a fair amount about these, these men in, in just a moment. But it is interesting, and it seems quite intentional, that Matthew has made quite a vague reference to them. Wise men, where are they from? From the east. Well, if you're sitting in Bethlehem or Jerusalem, and the east is an awfully big territory, okay? In other words, it, and so he could have been far more specific had he chosen to be, uh, but he is not. But he just simply uh, says that, that they are wise men. Again, that, that Greek, uh, uh, magoi, a, a plural noun, uh, sometimes it's transliterated. You see the term magi, okay? And so, again, we're going to talk more about exactly uh, or possibly uh, who these men were. But these men, a delegation from an eastern nation, they come uh, to uh, Jerusalem and they have a question uh, that uh, they ask specifically, where is he who has been born king of, of, of the Jews? And they explain how it is that they came to Jerusalem at this particular time uh, looking for this one who had been born king of the Jews. The explanation, they saw this star uh, arise. And we'll have more to say about that in, in just a moment. But they, the, the star guided them, the star prompted them to come. And notice here, now they've identified him as the king of the Jews, but they've come to do what? Worship him. Very interesting. Uh, you don't normally worship human kings. Now, there, there was a certain amount of that, but I think there's something else going on here 
that they would be prompted uh, to travel for the ultimate purpose of worshiping uh, this one that not only had the star prompted, but something in their tradition had informed him to exactly who this star had indicated had been born. And so, whether they went to the temple or they were maybe milling around a a seat of government or Herod's uh, palace, Herod hears of these travelers, these strangers, these foreigners, they're in the city, and they're asking questions. And and we're told there in verse 3, and I call verses 3 through 6 the troubled tyrant, we're told that when he heard this, that he was troubled. I think the idea behind this word, this description, is not just that he was concerned mildly alarmed but but he was very agitated upset maybe even uh, and, and again some use of this word might suggest this he was boiling mad that 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 that, that he could as we say bite and chew nails okay that 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 this had happened because he perceived him and as I mentioned in my opening rightly so he is a threat he is a threat let me tell you something Hear me today. If you would desire to persist in your sin and your rebellion against God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ, you need to perceive Jesus Christ in this moment as a threat. He is a threat. Now, He is a solution to the threat as well. But make no mistake, He is a threat. And so, was Herod simply jealous? Just, okay, hey, there's nobody going to take my throne. Uh, Possibly and probably. Probably more closely associated with his reaction is he feared a popular uprising that either because it was a threat to him and he could have been toppled because remember uh, this area of Judea that he was ruling over was a powder keg. It didn't take much to get the people excited and incited uh, to create trouble. And here's the thing. If you didn't put down the trouble, you were in trouble with Caesar Augustus. And if you put down the trouble wrongly, you got in trouble with Caesar Augustus. So uh, it it presented a a bit of a a quagmire uh, for him. And so uh, he was concerned uh, about the announcement related uh, to uh, this birth. And so what does he do? You see there in verse uh, 4, that he uh, assembles uh, uh, an inquiry. He calls in the, uh, the counselors, and they're described as the chief priest and, and the scribes, those that are uh, religious leaders, and he questions them. Okay, this is what they're saying. They're saying the king of the Jews has been born. You tell me, do the scriptures speak to this issue? And indeed, the scriptures do. And they cite that passage that we spoke of last week uh, from the prophet Micah that this promised king is going to be born in a particular locale, namely in Bethlehem. In other words, it's pretty close by. Now, I don't know that the scribes exegeted the entire passage for Herod here, 
But make no mistake, the implications of Micah 5 is, hey, it's not just any king that's going to be born, not just any king's going to be born in, in Bethlehem. It is a king who is coming to rule and reign. He is going to shepherd his people. So again, the upshot is what? You're right. He is a threat. He is a threat. And so uh, he, he inquires uh, as to uh, this issue. And then, what did I say? Conniving. Cunning. This is probably not necessarily capricious. It's probably pretty well thought out. That he calls uh, back uh, these uh, wise men. And he has a, a devious plot in mind. And the question then is, okay, well, when did you first see this particular star, this star that's associated with the announcement of the birth of this king. And so evidently they gave him a, a number, a, a time frame, and then he says, go. Now, now you, you go and you find him. I'm going to send you up ahead. Uh, you've been sent as a delegation uh, from uh, the court of an eastern country, so to speak. Uh, I'll let you go and also represent me. And after you have gone, then I will come. And I will pay uh, my uh, respects. And so uh, when they prepared uh, to depart, again, this star, verse 9, appeared once again. And so that somewhat begs to what degree was this a star, a, a natural uh, uh, astronomical phenomenon. Uh, was it something, uh, certainly it was a light. It was a light that appeared in the sky, but was it legitimately uh, a star or was it star-like uh, in uh, what it did? We'll say more about that again in just a moment. So the star reappears, and it had to be somewhat unique to be able to guide them the five miles or so it would have been from Jerusalem to get to Bethlehem. In other words, uh, a star in the sky uh, can't really guide you to that type of a, of a short distance. I mean, we can follow the north star north, but uh, you can't follow it to a specific street address in, in Bethlehem. And so uh, notice here when they, when they, when they see the, the, the star and, and it comes to, to rest over where the child was, look at verse 10. And this is, you know, Luke, traveled with Paul, and I don't know if, if, if Paul influenced some of, of Luke's uh, language when, when you kind of pile on the superlatives, but, but, but this is kind of awkward in English, and it's awkward in, in, in Greek. Uh, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Uh, that means they were, they were really, really happy, okay? Let's just, uh, I, I, I mean, they, they were thrilled deeply in the core of their very being, okay? And, and so th that they, they were going to find the one that they sought. And so they come, we're told now, now notice transition, verse 11, Jesus is evidently not in a stable any longer. They have transitioned into a house, okay, so... Uh, I'm not telling you to go throw your nativity scenes out. I'm not throwing mine out. But, again, just remember, probably not the night of his birth, okay? Uh, they've come uh, at least slightly 
later, and uh, they go into the house, and they see the child, they see him there uh, with Mary, the, the mother, and I don't know, I don't know to what degree this was planned. Okay, guys, when we see him, this is what we're going to do. Okay, ready, break. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's what was going on there or not. My suspicion is that in that moment, God gave them a peculiar glimpse of exactly who Jesus was, who Jesus is. And so, in spontaneity, they appropriately fall down. Now, I will say this at this point. I'm not prepared to identify them as uh, old covenant saints or whatever. I, I don't know to what degree they understood. Maybe a lot, maybe not so much. Uh, there's, there's a possibility they had quite enough information upon which to act and believe that this is whom God has sent into history for even the salvation of us Gentiles. We don't know. We'll leave, we'll leave that to eternity. But uh, they, they, they worship him, and then they bring him those very familiar treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We'll get back to those in just a moment. So they worship they pay homage to him, and then uh, we don't know how long they stayed, whether it was very brief or over uh, a period of time, maybe making some further inquiries of the couple. They, they certainly would have a lot to say. Well, yeah, you guys, you, you've got a particular picture here, and it's accurate. But let me tell you how the rest of this story unfolded in our lives. So I, it's hard to know. But they present him with the gifts. And then, once again, what has happened a number of times before, God speaks through the methodology, the instrumentality of a dream, and warns them not to go back, not to inform Herod, but to go home in another way. And so, in, in that moment, or in that time, Herod realizes they're not coming back. Time passes, those guys are not going to do what they've said they would do. And so he is once again incensed uh, that they're not uh, coming uh, back to him. And so in the interval, in verse 13, we see uh, that uh, another angel appears in another dream once again to Joseph and gives him instructions. You're going to need to leave. Another very difficult journey. Again, I kind of jokingly responded or mentioned last week, taking one of these pregnant ladies on a ride to Montgomery, about the same distance uh, as uh, Nazareth to, uh, to Bethlehem. Well, imagine this. Honey, I, I know Jesus is just a baby, but saddle up. we got about 800 miles to go to Egypt. And so you can kind of figure that one out. But necessary. Uh, some people think maybe he went all the way into Alexandria because there was a Jewish community there. We don't know. We're simply told in a broad way. He went to Egypt uh, in preservation of the child because Herod is going to search. He's going to seek to uh, destroy him because, again, he is a a threat. He is a rival. He must be opposed. He must be destroyed, as Simeon would prophesy. He is a sign that will be opposed. And the opposition began shortly after his birth. It actually preceded his birth. It goes all the way back to the rebellion in heaven. So, they took the child, they go by night, they start their journey, and they remain there 
until Herod dies, which probably wasn't very long. Herod dies in 4 B.C. Uh, Jesus is born somewhere in the window between 8 and 4 B.C., most likely, I think, toward the end of that time frame. And uh, uh, so Herod is in his uh, last days, and uh, his uh, paranoia and all of his many uh, problems are, are probably coming to their, their kind of a, a zenith. And so how does Herod respond? Verse uh, 16, this murderous response. We should not be shocked. It's consistent with everything that we know uh, about Herod. When his death is approaching, he orders that many of the leading citizens of Jerusalem be executed because he knows nobody's going to mourn his death, but at least there will be mourning in Jerusalem during the time of his death because these very well-thought-of people have been killed. Caesar Augustus himself said of Herod, it is safer to be his pig than to be his son. He murdered at least two of his sons and at least one of his ten wives, among many other uh, atrocities uh, that he uh, committed. And so he is so cruel, he's so vile, vicious, violent, that he's willing to send soldiers presumably into the homes of those who have born children and to be sure he carves out a wide enough niche that he has appropriate margins to be sure he gets this child. He says children under two years of age kill them all. Now being a, a, a grandfather, I, I, I can. The idea of a, an official coming in to the parents' homes and taking from a mother or a father a child and slaughtering him, probably in front of them, is completely beyond my imagination. But yet, this was the Herod of the time of Jesus. As much as we would rightly say regarding the blackness, the darkness, the depravity of his heart and of his mind, it seems to me the secular rulers of our day, their hearts are no less vile and vicious and blind and dark. I, I, as I was contemplating this text this week, like many of you, I have a smartphone. I'm not sure it's a good thing or a bad thing. It certainly hasn't made me any smarter. But it popped up. FDA approves universally the use of the abortion pill at the behest of one that is no less than a modern day Herod, the man that currently sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and seeks to once again to destroy human life. We shouldn't be shocked at Herod. Because the depth of the depravity of the human heart is still present uh, among us and working its way out. And it should be rightly noted, as I have in, on a number of occasions, Herod existed. He lived and he ruled, I believe, in the spirit of the Antichrist. That he was indeed a forerunner of that one shall appear ultimately. And finally, and so we, we see the, the narrative here. Uh, Jesus has been born. He has been visited uh, by these men known as wise men from the east. And 
They have been uh, informed and, and, and charged with the responsibility of, of going uh, to Egypt for the sake of protecting the child. And Herod carries out his murderous acts. And so let's try it back, and I want to take a moment to say something about these uh, determined wise men. And again, their travel was likely in the 500 to 1,000 mile range. And my guess is it was probably much larger than the traditional three wise men, that there was quite an entourage. It would have been quite a, a scene that had uh, appeared with great pomp and circumstance there uh, in Jerusalem, that it would have been, uh, been noticed. And I don't want to make the mistake, as John Piper would say, of magnifying uh, the marginal. Okay, As I said, text is kind of vague. I think Matthew had the ability of actually identifying with great uh, 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 excellence and, and great exactness who these guys were, but he chose not to. But we also need to understand, the Bible gives us at least two things. Sometimes it gives us history. This is what happened. Reality. And then it explains the implications. Now let me just, just be clear here. Jesus really was born in Bethlehem. That's a reality. He grew to be a man. That's reality. He died on a cross. That's reality. That's history. That's fact. And then the Bible tells us, well, what, what's the point of all of that? The gospel. The gospel of our salvation. And so, uh, again, the, when the Bible gives us history, it's many times to paint the appropriate black backdrop upon which to display the glorious brilliance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's appropriate to at least say uh, something uh, about that context. And so, who were those guys? Uh, sometimes they're identified as Chaldeans or Babylonians, uh, as Persians, as, as Parthians, if they were Parthians, interestingly enough. That really would have been a perceived threat to Herod because that's the very people he had to displace as an occupying force in Judea when he came to take power in 37 uh, B.C. And so we don't know exactly where they're from or, again, what their uh, field of study, their, their excellence uh, was in. Uh, maybe astronomy, maybe astrology, uh, maybe other types of science, maybe philosophy, uh, maybe the occult. Uh, being some type of priest and some type of, of ancient uh, religion and probably involved in all of that with some aspect of being uh, advisors to the court, political advisors. And so uh, uh, they, they prob there was a number of threads that would have defined uh, who uh, the, the magi, the, the wise men uh, were. And they acted on information. Now remember back in verse 2, uh, they came from the east, and they came because they, they saw uh, a star uh, that, that prompted them. Where did that come from? Where did the idea of a star appearing, a light in the sky, uh, where, where in the world does that come from in the significance of a king? Possibly, perhaps, these men and those who preceded them gleaned an enormous amount of information from the Jewish exiles that were dispersed throughout the known world as they were 
captured by Babylonians and uh, later uh, held captive by, uh, by the Persians and later the Parthians. And, and possibly somebody like Daniel may have handed down a, a tradition and, 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 and maybe they understood, wait a minute, this, this guy's associated with that, that stone not carved by the hands of men that comes and destroys every world kingdoms and dominates the world. Maybe, maybe they understood that. Maybe they, they understood uh, the prophecy found in Numbers 24. You don't have to turn there. But in Balaam's, and that's an interesting story. If you have time, maybe study that out. But the oracle, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And, and maybe... Maybe in that Hebrew tradition, that, that tradition of the prophets, maybe a lot of information was given and handed down as to maybe a particular type of phenomenon in the sky that's going to be associated with the fulfillment of that prophecy. It's, it, it, it's hard to know, but, but God prompted them in their journey to, to Bethlehem, and, and they were sent as a part of a, a royal designation and maybe they understood uh, the various prophecies that tell us of this one to be born as ruling with the rod of iron that the kings of the earth will indeed come and pay homage uh, to him and so uh, these men act on the information that they have and it seems to have had a fair amount of uh, specificity that, 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 it, that, that they came, they came to the right place, they asked the right questions, and again, they followed uh, the information to its logical uh, end. And so they, they come, again, they're, they're summoned and quizzed, and they're sent out, and they go uh, there uh, to uh, uh, see the child, to worship the child, and they bring to him those well-remembered gifts, of which there's been a great deal of uh, waxing eloquent about them, but we know that they brought gold, and if, if nothing else, it reminds us of the fact that Jesus is of royalty. They bring to him frankincense, uh, frankincense associated uh, with uh, worship, even within the tabernacle, the incense offerings associated with the grain offerings. So it, it reminds us that Jesus is ultimately uh, our, our priest and that he is the divine, eternal priest and then they bring myrrh sometimes associated with the rite of embalming foreshadowing what the reality of his death and the accomplishment of his death and so they they bring these gifts and they worship the, the one who has been born uh, in uh, Bethlehem and and they come and again if 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 nothing else and and we we simply don't have all all the information we might like they foreshadow the great reality that one day every knee will bow. That these representatives of the kings of the earth, the Gentile world, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God Father. That he is going to build this kingdom out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So, strange, understated, we might like more information, but again, it's a grand testimony to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Final section. We want to say a word about the details from the ancient men. 
Matthew notes for us in a number of places here, these things happen to fulfill prophecies. Jesus, we know Jesus is who he claimed to be, who the Bible claims for him to be, who we believe him to be, partly at least because he is the perfect fulfillment of the promises made under the Old Covenant by the Old Testament prophets. In uh, evidence that demands a, ver a verdict, Josh McDowell notes that for someone to accidentally fulfill eight prophecies like Jesus did, and he fulfilled about 300, some people would say, to fulfill eight, the probability of that happening accidentally is 10 to the 17th power. No clue. Kind of like federal debt. I'll just put it that way. But anyway, the illustration is if you filled the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep and you put an X on one and you blindfolded someone and told them to go pick that one X'd out silver dollar, that is about the same odds they are as accidentally fulfilling the prophecies regarding Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all of these prophecies. Matthew what? Wants us to know? Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5. All through the Old Testament, I mentioned the kings. They illustrate the reality that all will worship Him. Psalm 2-7, Psalm 72, Psalm 68, and on it goes that all of the earth will come and they will indeed worship rightfully the rightful king. Then he cites that the reality of Joseph taking the family to Egypt fulfills Hosea 11-1. Even the tragedy of the slaughtered babies is the ultimate fulfillment of that which Jeremiah prophesied in the context of that Babylonian captivity. And then that, that final statement there in verse 23. Again, it's, it's a bit strange. It, to my knowledge, uh, I don't know of a text, prophetic text, that associate Jesus with Nazareth. So is it Jesus was going to be a Nazarite? Is that the idea? Well, we know of him taking no vow, and his lifestyle was totally inconsistent with that of the Nazarite. Maybe perhaps what is implied here. You remember Philip, can anything good come from Nazareth? Maybe the meaning is he will be a man who is generally held in low esteem. There was nothing attractive, attractive about him that we should be drawn to him. And so he shall be a man of very little earthly consequence. But again, he fulfills all that had been written of him. And so that these men came to worship him at least remind us that the fulfillment of all that God has promised, the one who is of lowest esteem in his earthly life, will ultimately and finally be perfectly and absolutely esteemed for all of eternity. Well, Christmas is, is a time of celebration. We celebrate that the infinite God of all creation took upon himself the limitations of his own creation by becoming a man. He wasn't just any man. He was the promised man. He is the man who reversed the curse of sin. He has triumphed over the power of death. He has, through who he is and what he has done, saved all who believe, those from every tribe, tongue, and nation who receive him and believe upon him for all that he is and all that he has done. 
And I can think of no better highlight for this service. Christmas. That, that mesh point. That interface where eternity engages with history. That, that which is infinite and eternal takes on the temporal realities of time and space. What we have before us here is real. This is real food. They're tangible. And let me tell you something. The gospel is rooted in just a real reality. The realness of Christmas. Jesus, the ultimate reality. And so he came and he lived and he died so that we may celebrate, that we may remember, and we may anticipate. Would you bow with me and could I ask the deacons that will be assisting this morning to come forward and, and get in, into place. Father, once again, we come and we acknowledge that indeed we celebrate. We celebrate as we reflect upon historical realities and eternal realities. And we celebrate as we anticipate the future reality of your return. And so again, at, at this juncture of, of, of time, space, and eternity, we take these elements that you have given to us, and you have given them to us for the purpose of remembering the eternal truth of your gospel. Indeed, may we celebrate May we indeed worship Him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.